Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to another episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where we're discussing the boys in the boat. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. We do. And today we're going to talk about The Boys in the Boat, which tells the true underdog story of the bootstrapping University of Washington junior varsity rowing team that, against all odds, went on to represent the USA at the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. Directed by George Clooney from a screenplay by Mark L. Smith that's based on the book by Daniel James Brown. The Boys in the Boat is headlined by Joel Edgerton, Callum Turner and Luke Slattery. Lee, did you have any idea about this true underdog story from the 30s? Were you familiar with it at all? Well, no. It's a <laughs> I mean, not to diss rowing or sculling as a sport, but it's not one of the more popular Olympic sports, is it, really? Mm. And this one is pulled from, as you said, 1936 or whatever. Yes. It's quite obscure. It's quite obscure. We're going back quite a few decades. And to answer my own question, I had no idea that this story ever existed. There's something about like sport films that, you know, sports, sports ball, like that's not really my thing. (laughs) But there's something I don't know about sports films, especially Mm. when it's wrapped up in underdog stories that I really get amongst it really yeah. pulls me in for some reason I'm not really sure why or how it's probably just the quality of of how they're made I guess yeah. is part of it yeah they're big character dramas uh sports stories normally and mm. I guess the big question when you're going to make a film like this is why should the audience care about a rowing film mm. and you need to give it heart a hero to root for and we get that in the character of Joe Rance played by Callum Turner And, you know, sport is just naturally so competitive. So when you pair it with the story with 
a large group of people who basically, as we're going to, need this sport to survive mm. because it's set around the Great Depression era. They need that opportunity. It leads to great drama, yeah. doesn't it? So it's kind of got all those ingredients. Yeah, they came together out of necessity, this team, the true underdogs, I guess, because they were poor and it was the only way for them to uh, pay for their education and be able to eat, really. You, you see a scene in the beginning of Joe Rance uh, sleeping in a car and eating mm. a tin of something very unappealing looking. Not appetising whatsoever. No. D- dinner's not on the agenda after seeing no. <laughs> the scenes like that in movies. It's it's really heartbreaking, isn't it? And it's quite confronting. But, I mean, that's how people lived. That's mm. how they had to live. That's how they had to survive. So you get really, really drawn into, as you said, the necessity of these young men to fight for their place mm. on this boat, only eight positions, because it meant... Uh, something more than a can of insert mm. unknown entity here. It was it was actually nutrients and sustainability and accommodation yeah. and, and a purpose in life too as well. We mentioned that, you know, it's a team of eight people that are coming together, but the eight, it's not really a story about the team, mm. is it? This Callum Turner's character, Joe Rance, is at the front of the story. We get bits of his backstory. There are a lot of other guys in the team who are interesting, but we didn't get a lot of their stories or backstory. So I don't feel that it was a ensemble team piece. No, which is interesting thing that you call out and I, and I agree. I don't think it was anything that I would call necessarily a criticism, but it would have been nice to get to know some of the other yeah. boys in the boat a little more intimately because they have to work together. Mm. So you kind of need to understand where they're coming from and who they are. But like you said, it's very much Callan Turner's film, isn't it? Yeah, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, he does a fantastic job and we'll talk a bit more about that uh, later. But if you're, if you're calling it the boys in the boat and it's and it's an underdog story about this team, I would have liked to have seen more of their backstory and understood more of them. We do see little flavours and flashes of, of their personalities throughout, mm. which is in, enjoyable. But I was really I was really interested in who the rest of the team was. Absolutely. And I, I mean, maybe perhaps because this is based on a book that was published only back in 2013, so relatively new. I, I wonder if the author, uh, Daniel James Brown, leans into more of who the other boys in the boat were, but then George Clooney and the writer Mark L. Smith decided to just maybe keep it more of a laser focus. I, I don't know. Well, I haven't read the book, but I don't think he does because the book actually follows the lead character, Joe Rance, as a boy mm. and throughout his life. So it's a larger time frame ah. covered in the book but this film chooses to focus on just one year in the life of this rowing team and them coming together for the first time what did you think of that choice to just focus on one year in the life now that you say that it would have been nice to maybe see him as a boy but i actually think that the way that he is written as a character i think you get enough of the context of where he's come from because mm. he does have to face and deal with his past with his father who abandoned him sort of coming back into the picture partway through the movie. I think there is enough there to offer Mm. some drama and context. That brings me to like the pace of the movie. Mm. I think the pace was really good. And I think maybe if they went back in time too much and spliced that up, it may have impacted the the fast pace of it, which, which I really quite liked. Yeah. I think they made the right decision. Do you? Yeah. I was carried along with the pace, especially in the racing scenes, which I, I think were really engaging and entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny though, even though both of us have made it very clear that we didn't know the outcome of this true story, mm. a lot of people will if they come from that world or that, that yeah. interest, that period of history. 
it's it's a really interesting thing with true stories because you think you kind of know where it's headed, mm. yet somehow it still grips you and you're really rooting for these characters and it's just a really um, nice sign of great filmmaking and brilliant performances and, and all the layers that come together aesthetically. Somehow this pulls it off even though you can you know where it's leading, you know? Do you think that's a downside at all, that it's it's too predictable? No, no. See, that's, that's a good question to follow up with. No, I don't think it was a downside. I wanted the outcome to be what the outcome mm. was, so I was I was happy with where it was going. Because that's the thing with these underdog sports stories, isn't it? The, you, you can't help but smile when they pull through and succeed, mm. even though you know that's what's going to happen. And, 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 I mean, that comes down to all the performances and the way that George has directed it and fully immersed you in the world that it's set in, in the 1930s leading mm. up to World War II. There's there's really interesting sort of political things that are going on there yeah. as well. So it kind of pulls you in from multiple angles, I feel. And speaking of the political things that are going on, obviously it's the time when Hitler is, is coming into power. And mm. I want to ask you about the choice to include Hitler in this film because that is a criticism that I have, just like a tiny one. It's only a very small part. But whenever film chooses to show Hitler like fledged as a character somebody playing him rather than just like a hint of him or a voice or the back of a head which sometimes happens it always comes off as a parody and I spoke to you about that when we came out because it's it's the nature of who he was and how we view him in history now that he is such a not comical comical is the wrong word but just such a ridiculous fucking human that I can't even call him a human, can you? You call him a monster, really. Yeah. That portraying him on film comes off as farcical and as like a, a, a character kind of. Yeah, you, you are so right in, in taking that feeling away. It is unavoidable. It's unavoidable in a few ways. The story needed to have Hitler in there. They literally go to the Berlin Olympics in yeah. the mid-30s. and Did they need to have him there, though? Did they? They didn't need to show that. Maybe it's a matter of being historically accurate that in that race for gold, he was actually there. Do you know what I mean? They And very cranky that they won. <laughs> yes. But see, that's where I think you're, you're leaning into the whole caricature piece because he was a tanty thrower, yes. wasn't he? And it's just a really, really unsettling thing to witness because we know what happens some only three years later yeah. where he declares war on the world and those tantrums result in absolute devastation of millions and millions of deaths and I guess it's I don't know how else do you sort of react to that when he shows up in a movie Mm. other than just finding it awkward and maybe you know a little unsettling yeah and I guess that's kind of my privilege speaking in that I don't have family who would have been affected by his horrible war crimes but Mm. you just find him to be such a ridiculous person but I guess he is imposing and intimidating to to people and families who he's genocides affected and and maybe in a small way one of the notes i wrote down was that there there's a lot of testosterone in this movie mm. there's kind of like three groups of men that it follows you have yeah, true. the working class background of the roles of the boys that we're following then you have the rich private frat boys and the mm. testosterone and determination that comes with that and then you have the testosterone of Hitler and the Nazis Mm. and that showmanship of putting on the Olympics and look at me and how great um, my nation is and me as a leader. Mm. And then that testosterone bubble is like kind of popped a little bit when he throws that tantrum. (laughs) And uh, I don't know if it's meant to make you feel a little 
better about the situation. But I mean, yeah. where 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 the story leads with him in Germany is no, yeah. uh, not to be celebrated. Um, having said that, yeah, this film is quite a sausage fest, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> Some good looking good looking men in there: Joel Edgerton and Callum Turner. Yeah, I mean, all of the above, but not to be vacuous there. Yes, they were. There's something about the 30s, though, and how men presented themselves, mm. I think. Like, they're very, very handsome. Um, and But then when you're looking at sportsmen and, and sort of their, their physical presence mm. and prowess, you know, everything about this movie looked good aesthetically, and including the men in tights yeah. or whatever they wear, spandex. What is it? What do they wear? <laughs> yeah, the rowing outfits. I don't know. Rowing outfit. Let's just go with that. <laughs> Spandex. Yeah, I mean, the way the film looks comes down to, I guess, George Clooney's overarching Mm. vision, leading a whole team of creatives, obviously. He's been directing now for 20 years. Has it really been that long? If you can believe that. 20 years. So he started with Confessions of a Dangerous Mind in 2002. And the last Mm. one uh, before this one was The Tender Bar, which was Ben Affleck's film in 2021. Yeah, he's had quite a, a mix of films. Good Night and Good Luck is considered one of his best. Mm. Leatherheads kind of leans into a similar time period, I think, yep. another sports yes. drama, a bit of comedy thrown in there. Yeah. And then some political thrillers, Ides of March, yeah. uh, The Monumentous Men. It's quite a quite a tapestry, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but the, the thread running through that tapestry is that he does seem drawn to these war-era true stories and, and Hollywood's mm. golden era, which is funny because when I think of, of George Clooney as an actor and director, he really does evoke that old Hollywood star energy, you know, like mm. the contract players at MGM. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, like he, he evokes that image when you think of him. So it makes sense that he's drawn towards those kind of films. Yeah, and his films do then in turn, like you said, have that old-time Hollywood film feel, mm. a lot of class to it, and then wrapped up into rooting for the little guy is yeah. just a nice little piece to the puzzle of, of a film that he uh, clearly knows how to make and make really well. And on to the casting of the film, we've got Aussie, 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 Joel Edgerton as Coach Ulbrichson, <laughs> a stoic man, yes. if ever there was one. You feel like he's quite ab- abrasive and abrupt, but... Rowing is his life. Mm. He doesn't tend to have any peripheral vision for anything else. He's incredibly dedicated. But I I sort of described him, you know, as you experience his character throughout the life of the movie, he's stern but gentle is how I would describe yeah, him perhaps. Yeah, encouraging towards the boys. He wants them to succeed. And Joel Edgerton himself is one of our greatest exports, isn't he? We introduced to him in The Secret Life of Us and then all the way through to international hits like Ron Howard's 13 Lives. He's probably perhaps most recognisable to international audiences as Owen Lars, Luke Skywalker's adopted uncle in, in Star Wars. Yes, we recently spoke to Joel Edgerton in an interview and you can check out those interviews wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube as well. But we asked him about what was some pivotal roles of his and he lists off a few, but then he can't go past, oh yeah, and also I was in Star Wars. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, you can't ignore that one and and it got him a a lot of noise and led to incredible things, no doubt. And he's he's really aware of that as well as an artist. He delivers... Coach Olbrickson's motivational speeches so well. Like this character, as we said, is very stoic, very understated, and his motivational speeches leave a lot to be desired. You know, he says things like, try not to tip over and hope the other team 
makes a mistake, which is quite funny, but he gets better as the film goes on. He does. You're not really writing down some of these notes as a viewer going, oh, I might use that in my day-to-day life. How inspiring. (laughs) Which is surprising, which is surprising for me watching this. You're thinking, you know, coaches in films always have something poignant and big to say and Mm. they're dealing with X, Y, and Z and they're sort of – they down on their luck they didn't see success in in their childhood and then now they're fighting for it and they have they're using boys as this vessel for success but it's a much simpler take on the coach in this one yeah there's almost like you said with coaches there's almost this bitterness for their own failures Mm. that runs through their motivation but not in Ulbrickson's case at all he he generally wants the boys to succeed as Joel Edgerton said in our chat you know he almost doesn't seem like he likes the sport Almost in the way he comes across, but he obviously does. He just can't give himself fully to it because it's just too stressful. He wants them to succeed so much. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mm, He really, really cares about them, doesn't Mm. he? And then all that wrapped up into the societal pressures of the time with the depression. You know, Mm. he... He wants the boys to succeed so they can survive and thrive. One of the things that Joel Edgerton does really well in in his character is he's he's a vessel for the audience for all the sorts of other things that are going on behind the scenes that the boys aren't necessarily a part of, but we are as an audience. Mm. The political pressures of the sport and all those expectations to win, the redemption from last year's failures and all those pressures on the townspeople and the people within mm. that world of rowing. So Joel is a, is a great vessel to communicate that um, and he's very thick-skinned. Mm. So it's a nice plot device to use him in that way. There's also that class divide between the richer upper mm. class rival teams. I can't remember which team it was. I think it was Harvard or Oxford or something like that. Something like that. And then the working class University of Washington, you know, that team. So, yeah, there's, there's that divide going on as well. I really connected with his performance and his mm. character and it's testament to his skills as an actor. Yeah. He's really brilliant in this 100%, movie. 100%, 100%. Another standout, obviously, is Callum Turner as Joe Rance. We said in our interview with Joel that this is going to be a real pivotal film for him. We have seen him, he's most recognisable perhaps as Theseus Scamander in the Harry Potter spin-off Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. But his performance in this film is incredible. You know, Joe has had to survive on his own and part of his journey is becoming a team player because he's he's had to just rely on himself for most of his life, abandoned as a child mm. by his father and, and stepmother. You know, Callum not only plays this part so well, but I think 
He also looks the part, doesn't he? He definitely looks the part. He looks like someone who's plucked from the 1930s. He has that brooding quality to him, mm. that that voice work that's like really like, whoa, you kind of sit back and, and take note of when he speaks. He's very commanding on screen. And like you said, this is a this is a pivotal role for him because it's a shame, even though his work in the Fantastic Beast series is quite good and very different to this, mm that series has fizzled out and Mm. you either love or hate those films. So I'm glad that he's got this film, this leading role in order for people to maybe for the first time sit up and recognize him and through the great direction of of George and the companion of of Joel and then his wonderful on-screen chemistry with (laughs) Hadley Robinson. This is great film for him. I I love the way you said that, like we're friends, you know, like his great (laughs) direction by George, by old mate George. By G. (laughs) GC. <laughs> Old mate GC. Old mate GC. <laughs> so good. Yeah, and the rest of the team, unfortunately, don't get a lot of deep character work, like we said, but they're all putting in a great performance as well. Can we talk about Hadley Robinson, mm-hmm. who plays Joyce? I loved her so much. I loved her performance and her character. She was sharp and funny, full of charisma and so confident. And it's it's a nice two-hander between her and, and Callum mm. because their characters are from different worlds, but somehow they just work so beautifully within the wider story and it's a really nice love story to follow along the way. Yeah, yeah. She's boiled down to, I guess, the sassy love interest in the film. Yeah, but even sassy like might be a misleading word to use. I just think she would yeah, she was sassy. She was cheeky maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I just she was so good. She was so good. Confident is a good word. Confidence, as you said. Absolutely. Uh, one of the notes that I wrote down was a scene between her and Callum where this movie has it all. The scene on the train platform where they share a kiss mm. and I thought, this is old Hollywood. This is just so wonderful and I'm just rooting for these guys. Yeah. And I don't know, I felt like cheering in the cinema. I don't know, it just really swept me up. I just loved you it. You love that moment where he comes running off the train and he says goodbye to her first and she says, I love you. And he doesn't return the sentiment because I guess he's up in his head about what's about to happen and where they're going. Absolutely. And then he kind of gets on the train and realises, oh shit, no, wait a minute, and runs off the train and, and sweeps her up in this big kiss, which is a nice moment. And sweeps me up along with her. Yeah. Like cliche, yes, but I don't know, I fully accepted it and it it was just done very, very yeah, well. You wanted them to do that. Of course. It also showed some character development for him as well, that he'd come a long way and coming out of his shell mm. and actually letting people in. Yes, accepting some emotions, some emotional connection yeah. because he's he lost his mother young, his dad abandoned him. So, yeah, it's a, it's a really nice pivotal moment from character, you're right. Yeah, some good character growth there. Mm. I just really, really want to talk about the music and the score of this film because yes. it's composed by Alexander Desplat, who's – Career is actually rivaling John Williams, I think, in terms of longevity and variety and the types of project that he takes on. You know, he's scored everything from The Queen to Zero Dark Thirty and the Harry Potter films and also randomly the Twilight Saga films. Oh. So he feels like the perfect choice for this movie because his score is uplifting, it's inspirational, mm. it's emotional, all the things you want in a good underdog sports story. And his score and the editing and the sound design, I think, do a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the energy and the action of the film. It's really successful in that respect. Oh, absolutely. Two big thumbs up to everything that you've said. Like the energy of the film comes from a a lot of things 
but you know it's exciting sport drama but all those layers of technical prowess and mm. music editing is just the perfect marriage of things the music was like this red thread of energy throughout mm. the movie it was forever present it was quite like not in your face but it was mm. always there but it was very very welcome yeah. and i think it really worked in helping setting the time period that it was set in and then help leading that sort of kinetic energy that emotion that you felt with the characters and and the action taking place i think speaking of the kinetic energy like the sound design itself is is mm. really important like you get those moments where you're they're zooming in on um, the banging on the side of the boat to keep the tempo of, of the rowing and mm. that really like pulls you in because, I mean, otherwise you'd just be watching people rowing, <laughs> which is not exciting yeah. t- to everyone. But you've got to keep that, that editing, that, that quick cut editing and the bang, bang on the side of the boat and the coxswain calling the strokes and the speed of the strokes and it's that really like sweeps you up and, and wanting them to win. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the success of this movie is how they managed to capture the racing because when you think about it, like you said, rowing, they're just going in a straight line. There's nothing <laughs> interesting about that. They're all literally doing the same thing. Obviously, there's a nuance to what they're doing and contributing in certain stages of the boat, no doubt. I don't understand that. Not to discount this wonderful sport and the people who play it. Yeah, don't don't come for me. I don't want to be cancelled by the rowing community. But therein lies some challenges with where and how you point the camera and then edit it together because they're going really, really fast. Mm. So pulling focus and showing that emotion uh, and what they're going through physically is really challenging. And I can imagine when you're pairing that with the challenges of filmmaking Mm. on water. Like, my gosh, it would have been tough work to get this right. There's a funny story that came out of our interview with Joel Edgerton where he was talking about they filmed it in a way that the boys in the boat got better for real. Like the actors got better at rowing for real as the film went on. Mm. So they filmed those bits in order so that when they got to the big the big, big race, they actually knew what they were doing and, and, it, and it was parallel to their character's growth as sportsmen. Yeah. And they, they were really excited that they, they'd won the race and they'd done really well and, and they were going really fast. They're like, oh, my God, like we're, we're nailing this. We're, having, we're doing a great job. Um, and then George Clooney said, well, I told the other boat to go slower. <laughs> boat full of actual literal rowing professionals. <laughs> yeah, told them to go slow. <laughs> But then isn't that smart directing, right, where you elicit a reaction out of your actors as authentically as possible so you have them legit feeling like they are fucking killing it. Yeah. Where in line there's like a little side, by the way, just go a little slower so the boys think that they're really, really beating you. (laughs) Yes. Because there was no way in hell that was going to (laughs) happen. Great direction. Oh, Tim, I think let's wrap up our review of The Boys in the Boat and tell our listener why they should go and see this film. Agree. So The Boys in the Boat is a slick edge of your seat experience based on an inspiring true underdog story. I love an underdog story. And even though sports aren't really my thing, this film had me in the palm of its hand all the way through. Clooney has assembled a brilliant cast and crew that has given this remarkable story a platform to inspire a new generation through its star-making performance from Callum Turner and the immersive cinematography, sound design and music that we've discussed. A wonderful cinematic experience I encourage you to see. I'm going to rate the boys in the boat four and a half popcorn kernels. I loved it. Wow, that's a that's a big call. Go Tim, mm. okay. 
Well, The Boys in the Boat evokes a bygone era, not just in its period setting, but in its filmmaking style. It lacks the tension and emotional depth, but predictably pulls lengths ahead when it comes to succeeding as an uplifting sports drama. George Clooney seems to be working to a formula and maybe he could do with a bit more of an edge to his work behind the camera, but he's delivering a solid adaptation with standout performances and doing that is certainly no drop in a lake. (laughs) I'm going to give The Boys in the Boat three popcorn kernels out of five. Nice one. Well, The Boys in the Boat is in Australian cinemas from January 4. And you can check out our video interview with Joel Edgerton over on our YouTube channel and the audio version of our chat wherever you get podcasts. As always, friends, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. Make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information.